I'd like you, if you would find your um, Bibles or your smart devices or whatever you happen to read the Word of God on these days, to find John chapter 1. And uh, if you're taking notes, uh, the title of the message is, Is the Bible Really True? And uh, I'm going to, this is meat today, okay? It's good to have milk, but uh, there's no such thing as a Christian vegan when it comes to the Word of God, all right? Your, your dietary uh, food uh, selections are completely up to you. And I know at Bayside we have some people that are vegans, other vegetarians, and then, and then there's people like me. So I was actually a vegetarian for, for about two years at one stage, um, and then I went to a barbecue. And, and the rest was history. But when it comes to the Word of God, you know, when we grow up, the Bible says when we first get saved, we need to, we need to desire the pure milk of the Word. And so the, the simple, easy to uh, digest truth. But then when we start to grow, uh, we need some more sustenance, yeah, for our spirit. And so get ready for a big Holy Spirit steak today. All right, John chapter 1, we're going to read the first 18 verses. Is the Bible really true? And you'll find message notes on the app as well, by the way. If you haven't downloaded the Bayside Church app, then go into the app store, search Bayside Church Melbourne, and at the bottom you'll find a media button. You click on that and it will bring up for you a number of media options. Uh, One of them is the uh, Frankston Weekly Message. You need to click on that and you'll find the the weekly notes uh, there all ready for you. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, or all of humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this John is not the John who wrote the book. This is John the Baptist, okay? He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So he was pointing to the Messiah, to Jesus. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. One of the saddest statements in Scripture. He came to that which is his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, here's the good news. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So in other words, this uh, when we got born again, it was not anybody else's choice but ours and God's, and we were born into his family. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Don't get scared by the word glory. It's nothing uh, spooky. Glory just refers to something that emanates from something. So today we are seeing the glory of the lights, and we are feeling the glory of the haters, <laughs> okay? So glory is just something that emanates, uh, and, you, and you see or feel its effect. And so when the glory of Jesus, what emanates from Jesus, um, John says here, is grace and truth. That's what emanates from him. Verse 15, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about 
when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only, the one and only Son who is himself God is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. Wonderful truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we have opened your word, we also open our hearts and our minds. And we ask in these moments that we have together in your word today that you will speak to each and every one of us. May we be so much better for having heard this word today, your word, in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Is the Bible really true? Now, if I was to ask for a response to that question today, I imagine I would get the predictable response. Okay, if I ask this in any church, evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic church these days, is the Bible true? I'm pretty sure most hands would go up. Uh, to signify yes, but I'm not going to ask you to do that today, all right? Because it's not a trick question, but my answer is actually not yes. My answer is it depends. Now, I hope that's not a shock to anyone. If it is, just stay, okay? Because everything will become clear. I'm not a heretic. You don't have to go out and find a bag of stones right now. And so we always had our suspicions about Rob Buckingham. Now we know the truth. And so, is the Bible true? My answer is, it depends on what we mean by truth. Because many of the words that we have in the English language have lots of different meanings. For example, the word up, those two little letters together, up, has over 30 different meanings in the dictionary, depending on the context of the use of the word up. I mean, we got up this morning, didn't we? I'm getting up to preach right now? Why up? So there's lots of different meanings for that. And it's the same with words like true and truth. And I want to explore three meanings of the word truth with you today in reference to the Bible. And uh, so number one, if you're taking notes, is truth as fact. And that's normally what we're thinking of when we say, is the Bible true? We're thinking of truth as fact, and we say the Bible is fact, therefore it is true. So there's lots of truth as fact in our world today. There is scientific truth, there is historical truth, there is the fact of Jesus Christ as a real person, and there is uh, actual fact about Jesus, not just in the Bible, although that's good enough for me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about the fact of Jesus being a real person, who was born and lived in real time. But just in case the Bible is not enough for you, there is actually historical fact from secular sources that, do it, that attest to the reality of the person we know as Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go through all of it today, but let me give you a couple of quotes from historians. This one's from first century historian Josephus. He wrote of Jesus in his Jewish antiquities in AD 93. And I quote, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. 
And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those who loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. Words from AD 93. Pretty amazing. that Josephus wasn't a Christian, okay? He had no um, uh, wheelbarrow to push. He wasn't on a particular agenda. He was a historian just writing down some facts, the facts of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection recorded for us in secular history. The Roman historian Cornelius Tacitus also wrote about the existence of Jesus in his annals. So did the uh, Roman historian Suetonius, Pliny the Younger, wrote about Jesus as a real person, as did Tallus, the secular historian. He wrote about AD 52. Lucian, the Greek satirist, wrote about him in his uh, play, The Death of the Peregrine. I have never read that. You might want to. The Babylonian Talmud talks about Jesus, the reality of Jesus. And, uh, and so there's a number of historical um, uh, documents that talk about the fact of Jesus Christ as a real person. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a historical archaeologist by the name of Ronald Stewart uh, stated that he had uncovered some hand-struck coins minted sometime between AD 33 and AD 47, which have images and depictions of Jesus Christ, many of which correlate to major and well-known biblical events. Examples of readily identified biblical stories on this coins of Jesus include Jesus healing the blind man, Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, and Jesus being bound and dragged away by Pontius Pilate. And so many historians, modern historians, also agree that Jesus actually existed. So when it comes to Jesus, we believe in truth as fact. And if we don't, then we are wasting our time today. Why are we here if Jesus didn't live and die and rise again? Uh, we believe in those things as facts. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, of all people, we are most to be pitied because we have this hope. But if Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, our hope is, 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 is a false hope and we should be pitied and we are miserable because he said we are still in our sins. But then he goes on and he says, but Christ has indeed risen. And so when it comes to those things, we believe in truth as fact. Okay. As we read and study the Bible, we need to actually ask ourselves this question. Is this passage stating facts about physical reality? Is this truth as fact that I'm reading or am I reading something else? It's vital that we realize that the Bible writers were looking through the lens of their own culture, their own knowledge, language, history, and so on. The Holy Spirit didn't circumvent all of these things and neither did he bypass their personality any more than he does with us in this day and age. And this is so important that we understand that, that the Holy Spirit uses us and, and moves in and through our lives uh, with particular gifts, but they are expressed through our personality. So there's lots of people, for example, I, I, I enjoy using the teaching gift, okay? Teaching the Word of God. Love doing that. Uh, there's lots of people, men and women all around the world, who have a gift of teaching, but no one can teach like I teach because I'm Rob Buckingham. I have Rob Buckingham's personality. 
Hopefully he's not missing it. <laughs> and so when I teach, I'll teach my way because I do that through the expression of the personality that God has given me. When Mark Connor preaches, he preaches and teaches as Mark Connor does and so on and so forth. And so the gifts, there's, a, there's a, quite a few of the gifts, but when they are expressed through our unique personality, they become unique to us. And same with the Bible writers. When we read the writers, uh, what, they, what they wrote in the Bible, not just their culture and history and everything like that is, is communicated, but it's communicated through their personality. And, and, and God doesn't circumvent that. And so let me give you an example of something that is reflecting the understanding of the day. If you look at Isaiah 40 and verse 22, and we have notes up today at all? You should have those in there somewhere? No? Okay, they're in there somewhere. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22, if you want to just write that down. And it says this, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers, he stretches out the heavens like a canopy. Now, some people have taken this. This is Isaiah, the prophet. He wrote this about 800 BC, okay? And uh, some people say, there it is. It's the circle of the earth. Beautiful. Thank you. A uh, circle of the earth, so the earth is round. And, uh, and we know that now to be a fact. But that's not what the Bible is saying here. It's talking about the earth as a circle. And so Isaiah is talking through his perspective of his day. Uh, back in 800 BC, they believed that the earth was flat and it was a flat disk. So now we still have people in the world today who still believe that the earth is flat. Maybe there are some of you who are flat earthers. I did some research on this and apparently the Flat Earth Society in America and the UK is growing by about 200 members a year, which, I mean, it's not a lot, but I'm amazed it's growing at all. Seriously, because we have scientific facts now that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the earth is not flat, it's actually a ball, okay? Um, but, of course, these people say that's a conspiracy and it's all been made up. So you actually can't argue with people like that, so don't even try. So back in 800 BC, they viewed the earth as a flat disk and uh, heaven or God was up and, and the grave was down. So when people died, they were buried, and so they were under the earth. God was up there. And that's what we see in this, in this um, uh, verse of the Bible. God is enthroned above the encircle of the earth. So, so God's up there, and we are here on this flat disk, and the dead are below it. His people are like grasshoppers. Now, is that truth as fact? Uh, you know, put a leg up if you're a grasshopper, or make a noise, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're not grasshoppers, are we? we it's, using, it's not using truth as fact here. If you've ever been in a high building and you look down at a crowd of people, you probably said something, oh, look at all those people down there. They look like ants. Are we saying that the people are ants? No, they're not ants. They look like ants, and that's what this is saying here. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. That's what they believe. They believe that, that, that we were kind of living in a big tent that had been stretched out because as they looked up, that was their frame of reference, and he spreads it out like a tent to live in. So that is not truth as fact. That was their understanding in 800 BC. We now know differently. Some of the facts have changed during our lifetime. When I was at school, Pluto was a planet. But Pluto has been deplutoed because a number of years ago, astronomers decided that there were certain qualifications that 
a planet needed to live up to, and Pluto, bless its little heart, didn't live up to them. So Pluto's just like a big oversized rock, or it's referred to as a dwarf planet, but it's now no longer a planet. But when I was at school, it was truth as fact that Pluto was a planet, but now it's been deplutoed. In fact, it's now in the Urban Dictionary um, as, as, a, as a euphemism for being demoted. If you're put down or demoted in life, you can say that person has been Plutoed. And so here he is just out in the backside of the solar system and he's suddenly been Plutoed. Now you would think that a, that a, a planet in the backside of the universe should really be called Uranus. <laughs> Tish boom. Right. But it's actually not, it's, um, it's Neptune, but there you go. But when people say, have you seen Uranus lately? The answer is no. <laughs> I actually went there. My goodness, I can't believe it. All right. Now, if you were around in the 90s, you would have remembered the millennium bug, Y2K. That was talked about as truth as fact. And in fact, it was so convincing that businesses spent almost $1 trillion to make sure that the millennium bug did not bite. And I remember being at some friends' places, and, and I think, I don't know if Stewie and Sonia and a few other people were there as well, in Patterson Lakes on uh, uh, the 31st of December, 1999. We partied like it was 1999. And, uh, and uh, we got to midnight, and it just clicked over. And guess what happened to the computers? Nothing at all. <laughs> so someone made a lot of money uh, out of Y2K. It was truth as fact that ended up being fiction. Now, if I was to ask a question this morning, in fact, I'm going to ask for a show of hands uh, on this one. Uh, who thinks that uh, Mount Everest is the tallest mountain in the world? Hands up. Come on, be honest. I know it's not a, well, it is a trick question, yeah. <laughs> okay, so most of us. Who thinks that Mount Everest is not the tallest mountain in the world? Okay, so, and, and are you saying that because you think I'm tricking you or you actually really know? The highest mountain in the world is not Mount Everest. Okay, well, I, I, always, I always thought Mount Everest was the tallest mountain in the world until I checked this out. There is another mountain that is actually taller, higher, bigger than Mount Everest, and that's the Hawaiian extinct volcano, Mauna Kea, and it's over 10,000 meters high, whereas Everest is only 8,848 meters high. So there we go. See, we believe truth is fact that Mount Everest is the biggest mountain, but it isn't the biggest mountain. It's the biggest if you measure it from sea level. But when you actually measure the size of the mountain, then the mountain in Mount Everest, uh, sorry, the mountain in Hawaii is actually bigger. In 200 years' time, people will look back at our time and wonder how we got so many things wrong, things that we believe as truth as fact now. as just the same as we do as we look back 100 years or 200 years, I mean, 100 years and two weeks ago, women were allowed to vote for the very first time. Today, the Saudi Arabian women get to drive for the very first time. About blooming time too. And yet it takes time for societies and cultures to change and shift because they believed in truth as fact for, for so long. Slavery was um, endorsed because of truth as fact. And in fact, there were Bible verses used to quote why women shouldn't vote. 
and there's Bible verses that were quoted to endorse the African-American slave trade as well, and I'll touch on that a little bit more later in the message. The fact is we don't know everything now. Humanity is constantly discovering new things with the emergence of new truth, and we need to understand that when we're reading the Bible. So ask yourself, first of all, is this truth as fact? Number two, truth as meaning. The Bible is full of various kinds of literature. There's poetry, history, promises, commands, stories, songs, rhetoric, logic, proverbs, hyperbole, wisdom, irony, parables, there are figures of speech, there's apocalyptic writing, there's metaphorical language and so on. So when we're reading the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, what is the meaning behind what we've read? That is, we ask ourselves, how should this be understood? What type of literature am I reading? For example, there's a poetry section in the Bible. It starts with the book of Job, and then there's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. They're all ancient poetry, and they need to be read that way. The Psalms are songs. They use a thing that we still use in our songs today called poetic license. When we're listening to songs on the radio today, they talk about things that we know are not truth as fact. Case in point, the number one song in Australia at the moment is Young Blood by Five Seconds of Summer, or if you're really in, Five Sauce. I get that right. I've got teenage daughters, so I know all about this. So, Five Seconds of Summer. When I first heard about Five Seconds of Summer, I thought they were an Irish band. Because that's where they really do get Five Seconds of Summer. But uh, they're actually from Sydney. They're a bunch of young guys. I think the oldest of them just turned 20. And uh, their latest song goes like this. Remember the words you told me. Love me till the day I die. Surrender my everything because you made me believe you're mine. Yeah. You used me. Used to call me baby. Now you're calling me by name. Takes one to know one. Yeah. You beat me at my own damn game. Sorry about that. You push and you push and I'm pulling away. Pulling away from you. I give and I give and I give and I take. Give and you take. And it goes into the chorus. Young blood. Say you want me, say you want me out of your life. I'm just a dead man walking tonight. But you need it, yeah, you need it all of the time, yeah, ooh. <laughs> Sounds much better when you sing it. <laughs> Young blood, say you want me, say you want me back in your life, so I'm just a dead man crawling tonight. Now, hang on a sec. This guy's contradict himself. First of all, the dead people are walking, then the dead people are crawling. Which one is it? And do dead people walk and crawl? Only in zombie apocalypse movies, right? So when we're driving our car and this song, song comes on the radio and, then you, and you're just going, young blood, do you want it, do you want it? Yeah. And that kind of thing. You know I'm just a dead man crawling tonight. You know this is poetic license. Dead people don't walk, dead people don't crawl. This is just a song. This is not truth as fact. And so what does the, the song actually mean? Well, I don't really know. Maybe he's written this out of some sort of personal experience or maybe it's just one of those modern songs where you get about 15 people collaborating on a song that means absolutely nothing. The Psalms were the same. The Psalms are songs. They're poetry. And so let's have a look at an example. If we can just put this on the screen, Psalm 139 and uh, this is a magnificent song. This is, uh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so if we look at the words to this, in verse 13, first of all, um, 
David say, says this, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. All good so far? Let's look at a couple of verses later. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now, is this truth as fact or truth as meaning? If it's truth as fact, this is a little scary. Because uh, if we have any pregnant women uh, in, in our auditorium today, this is, this is disturbing because you're expecting a baby and God is on the inside of you with knitting needles. Okay, knit one, pearl one, nearly finished the baby, won't be long now, you know. But is God actually in wombs knitting, but then verse 15 completely contradicts the, the verse 13 because babies are actually not being knitted in mother's wombs, they're actually being woven together in the caverns of the earth. And when we read this, we know we're not reading truth as fact. We know we're reading truth as meaning. Otherwise, we come up with some really, really weird doctrine. And so we read that as truth as meaning. It's the same with the, the story of Job. Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible. It was a very ancient book. Some people think it was discovered by Moses after he'd killed the Egyptian. He was living in the wilderness, and he met his wife and, and, and his uh, extended family now uh, and, and just kind of living out there, and he found this story, and he was encouraged by the story because it shows um, uh, great encouragement for those who are in suffering. And some theologians think that Moses actually sent the book back to the people of um, Israel, the Hebrews that were in slavery in Egypt, to encourage them. Now, I don't know whether Job was a real person or not. Some people think he was. Others disagree and think he's a fictitious character. I actually don't think it matters particularly. But if we take the book of Job as truth as fact, then we come up with an understanding of God which is disturbing to say the least. Because in the beginning of the book, we've got uh, Satan coming into the throne room of heaven and basically betting with God as to whether or not they could get Job to curse God. And God agrees. He says, okay, yeah, um, well, you know, he's a good guy, but well, let's see what happens. Kill his family and destroy his business and let's see what happens. And so we see that in the, in the story, and of course Job remains full of integrity, and so Satan comes back whinging to God and says, well, you know, you, you didn't let me touch him. So God says, okay, well, uh, you know, destroy his health, but don't kill him. So if that's, if that's the nature of God, if we take the book of Job as truth as fact, church, we have a very disturbing God and that is not the God that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And so to take a poetic book, Job is actually a play, okay? And it has a number of acts. As you read through the book of Job, there are a number of acts. There's a number of characters. And, uh, and, and basically when Job gets sick, his three friends, in inverted commas, come along. And if you read what they're saying, they basically come up with two statements to Job. Uh, giving reasons as to why he is suffering. Number one reason as to why he's suffering is because uh, he has sin in his life. Number two reason why he's suffering is that he doesn't have enough faith. Either of those sound at all familiar. If you've been around Christian circles long enough, you've probably said some, uh, or hopefully not said something, hopefully you've, you might have heard someone say that to somebody else. Maybe they said it to you. 
You're going through a difficult time, you're suffering, life's not great, and someone comes to you and says, oh, well, you've probably got sin in your life. Oh, gee, thanks, I feel so much better now. Or if you had enough faith, then things would be different. Again, all you feel is condemned. And so you get to the end of the book of Job, and God says, what you said about me was wrong, you three guys, and the fourth one who comes along later. What we actually have in the book of Job is a parody or a satire where the, the author of the book is, is trying to outdo the friends by showing how ridiculous their statements really are. And basically what he's saying, I want to show you something that's even more ridiculous than you've got sin in your life or you haven't got enough faith. Can you imagine what it would be like if Satan got into heaven and God and the devil had some sort of wager about how he could destroy people's lives? Because that's how ridiculous your arguments are. And so we must read books like the book of Job, not as truth as fact, but as truth as meaning. And when we do that, we will realize, just like Lord Tennyson did, he called this the greatest poem of ancient and modern times. It's poetry set out in a play. It's not truth as fact, it's truth as meaning, and the meaning is wonderful. Suffering is a part of life on earth. We don't always know why suffering happens, but we do know that God's nature is to work all things together for good for those who love Him. And when you read the book of Job through eyes like this, suddenly it comes alive with meaning and encouragement and inspiration. It's not truth as fact, it's truth as meaning. The Bible frequently uses stories with meaning to teach us truth, but the stories themselves are not true. So most of Jesus' parables were not true stories. A parable is not a true story. It's a story with meaning. So there probably wasn't a prodigal son, for example. But it doesn't belittle the story. It actually makes the story even better because you're looking for the meaning out of the story. It's like Lord of the Rings. Who loves Lord of the Rings here? Okay. Yeah. Some people love it. Other people... (laughs) aren't overly keen. I think the books are better than the movie, just saying. But they're amazing books. And why are they still alive in our community consciousness decades after they were written? Because they're not truth as fact. They actually are stories that bypass our head and go straight to our heart. And so when you're looking at Lord of the Rings, you're not looking at truth as fact. I'm sorry if this disturbs anybody, but there is no Middle Earth. Well, there is, but it's called New Zealand. And, and, and elves don't really exist. Sorry about that, but they're not real. So when we're reading it or watching the film, and by the way, I should tell you that um, you'll remember that when Lord of the Rings came out, it came out on successive Boxing Days. And I remember saying to Christy, oh, um, the, the, the um, third in the Lord of the Rings trilogy is coming out on Boxing Day. And she says to me, oh, for goodness sake, how many movies are in that trilogy? <laughs> uh, three. One of her lighter moments. (laughs) And so we go along and see that, and and we know it's not truth as fact, and yet there is incredible meaning that has been communicated to generations through that. It's the same with the Narnia Chronicles, magnificent books, great films that we we get so much out of, like hidden truth. Both of these men, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was a Catholic, 
And uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, was a full-on Christian, converted from atheism. And they were communicating, not, and I don't think deliberately communicating Christian truth through their books, but what was on the inside of them oozed out into their writings. And so we have incredible truth as meaning found in that. We know that there isn't a back door in every wardrobe. When, I'm, uh, when Christy can't find me in the house, she doesn't go to my wardrobe and rummage uh, there and open the door and find me there covered in snow, you know. We know that's not truth as fact, although there are occasions when I would love it if there was a back door to my wardrobe. And I'm sure every man in this place, and probably woman as well, says a big amen. When we read truth as meaning in the Bible, we need wisdom. And so let me give you an example from Proverbs. If you guys can put up Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5 on the screen. Let's have a look at this. So, Verse 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, as you yourself will be just like him. And look at verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Well, if you read that as truth as fact, there's a big contradiction right there. And that's where people get that statement from, you know, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. No, it's not. The Bible is not full of contradictions. It only contradicts itself if you read it all as truth as fact. But when you read it as truth as meaning, both of those statements can actually be true because it depends on the circumstances. So Proverbs is a book of wisdom as well as a book of poetry. And so there are occasions when you don't answer a fool according to his folly, otherwise we'll be foolish as well. There are people that you meet in life where you've tried to talk to them about ridiculous ways that they're living or behaving or acting or whatever, and they don't listen, they don't listen, they don't listen, and you get to the point where you realize that you are wasting your breath because if I keep trying to challenge this person, I become a fool as well. And so there are occasions where you just let the person go. But on other occasions, you, you hang in there with them. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. And so it doesn't contradict itself when you read it as truth, as meaning. And so that's where we need to be as mature men and women of faith, is to, is to act wisely and to live wisely in daily life, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate the correct course of action in every situation of life. Truth as meaning. Number three, and finally, truth as life. Truth as life. Now, this is the most important aspect of truth that asks the question, how can I embody truth? How can I live truthfully? This is what our text today is all about. Let's look at three verses from our text just very, very quickly. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, is this referring to the Bible? Because often we refer to this as the Word of God. But when John is writing is he writing about an it or a him? He's writing about a person. He's writing about Jesus Christ, the Word, the Word, the expression of God was with God and was God. Verse 14, it says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling or his tabernacle or his tent among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then look at verse 17. 
The law was given through Moses. In other words, the written word came through a human channel, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Not the written word, but the living word. And so I believe in the inspired word of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. We look at and we read the life of Jesus, and we know how we are to live, how we're to act, how we are to respond. Now, let me just make a couple of comments before I conclude, and these are really important. Number one, some people know all the facts, but they don't live the truth. And we've met people like that. They know the Bible inside and out, upside down. They know it far better than I do, even though I've been studying this amazing book now for well over 40 years. I love this book. It's an incredible book. But it's not just about knowing the book and all the chapters and verses and references and everything. It's not just about knowing the facts. It's about living the truth. We see people that know the facts of the Bible all the time on social media. Uh, if you follow me on Facebook particularly, you will notice, yeah, here we go. I've, over the years, I've dealt with various issues and subjects and, you know, really tried to reach out in a caring, loving, gracious way to people. But people then, if they're keyboard warriors, if they're truth as fact people, they start firing Bible verses at me like I'd never seen them before. You know, here it is, chapter, verse, there you go. They love the expression, the Bible is clear. And, you know, yeah, some things are clear, but if it was completely clear, there wouldn't be 30,000 Christian denominations around the world. There are 30,000 denominations or more because the Bible actually isn't clear on quite a number of things, and we actually need to just face up to that. But they fire these Bible verses at me like I'd never seen them before, and they deal with truth as fact only. They quote verses from the Bible like bullets aimed to destroy other people's opinions. But if we are living the truth, then we will express truth with things like love and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Let me tell you, if anyone ever uses the Bible to cause hurt to another human being, that is not the original intention of God's Word. And we know that because we look at the life of the living Word, Jesus Christ, and we see how He interacted with people. The only people that He was harsh and uptight with were the religious hypocrites of the day. Everybody else, all the marginalized people, the outcasts of society, everybody that the, 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 that the religious world looked down on, Jesus hung out with. And that's how we are. He's the Bible we're to read and really get so that we know about this book and how to live it. Truth as life. And so some people know all the facts but don't live the truth. And then there are some people who live the truth without understanding all the facts. We all know people like that. They're actually really good people. Whether they name the name Christian or not, they, by the very nature of their being, they actually express the truth that we read of in the Bible but also see expressed in Jesus Christ. One example of that in the Bible is Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He was an Italian guy. He was a non-Jew. The Bible says that he was a good man. He prayed on a regular basis and he gave money to help the poor. And have a read of Acts chapter 10 sometime this week and watch how God moved heaven and earth to connect this man who didn't know the facts but lived the truth and he connected that man to the facts so that he could follow Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. 
Jesus made a declaration that is recorded in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to notice, he didn't say, I am the way, the facts, and the life. He was truth as life. Jesus embodied truth, and those who follow Jesus are also called to express truth in the way they live. And so I want you to ask yourself, maybe just have a quiet time this week at some point, and ask yourself, is my life true? Am I living truthfully? And let's not use the Bible to bring hurt to other people. We saw something of this, and I'll close with this example. Um, Over the last couple of weeks, with regards to um, the American system of separating kids from their parents, and I I should have brought this up earlier because I have so many notes in my phone, um... This is a problem. Just talk amongst yourselves for a moment. So I will get there. Here we go. Great. So you've seen this on the news? Okay, the immigration. Now, I'm not, this is not anti-US, okay? I think our own immigration detention system is equally as horrendous. Um, You know, the, the people that are kept on Nauru and... You know, all of that. Another young guy committed suicide a couple of Fridays ago, a 26-year-old guy who had been begging our government for help with psychiatric problems for many years. He was a victim of torture and, um, and his pleas for help were ignored and so another suicide, another ruined life. But US Attorney General Jeff Sessions has been criticised for citing Bible scripture to back up the Trump administration's immigration policy in which almost 2,000 child migrants have been separated from their families in six weeks. Mr. Sessions said on Thursday, I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained the government for his own purposes. Now, let me read those verses to you. This is Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which, is, which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but those for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. That's a reference there to capital punishment, okay? They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Verse 5, therefore, if... if It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So we need to take those verses in in the context and culture in which they were written. But interestingly enough, it's the same verses that were used um, during the slave trade to say, well, the government has instituted slavery, and therefore we are to submit to the governing authority because it comes from God, and though therefore it's okay to keep slaves. So that's truth as fact, but what is truth as life? Is it ever right to keep someone in slavery? Uh, Scripture was used to um, back up beating of slaves. 
and they use one of Jesus' parables, which talks about beating with many stripes and, and beating with few stripes. So they're, they're taking a story as truth as fact instead of truth as meaning and then asking themselves how we should live. It's the same with capital punishment. That people have quoted Romans chapter 13 and it says, there you go, the people have the sword and they don't bear it in vain, therefore it's okay to kill people through capital punishment. That's how you read truth as fact and get truth as life and truth as meaning so wrong. So let me ask you a question. And I know that the policy is starting to be changed in the US and, and thank God for that. But is it ever right to separate children from their parents unless in a situation where the children are unsafe with their parents? So these people, for whatever reason, are crossing the border. Is it ever right? And is it right to justify doing that by quoting some verses from the Bible which cause great hurt and pain? We need to understand that the Bible is truth as fact, truth as meaning, and truth as life. The most important of those is truth as life. And may our lives never cause hurt to other people because we only ever see it as fact. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word today. And I pray that each and every one of us will embody truth. We'll live the truth. And the truth will make us free. Lord Jesus, you're the way, the truth, and life. And we look to you as the inspired living word of God. May we look at your example and follow it to be a blessing on this earth, to be a blessing to others.